Tonight we're going to continue our series on evangelism, sharing the gospel with others. Now, if you're visiting with us tonight, you've come on a very interesting night because tonight's sermon is very much for Christians. It is very much toward those who believe in Jesus Christ. It is an encouragement to share their faith with others. And so maybe you've come on your own and wanted to learn more about Christianity. Maybe a friend invited you out. Maybe this afternoon you didn't have lunch plans and started getting hungry and you saw some dancing hot dogs in Bruin Plaza and a sweet deal, a hot dog and a soda for just a quarter and... Whatever happened after that, you ended up here, and we're so thankful that you're here, so thankful that you decided to visit Grace on Campus tonight. I look forward to meeting you and getting to know you better, uh, and you, you've come on a very interesting night where this sermon will be for Christians, but, but I think at the same time, you've come on a great night because in many ways, you're going to find out what makes us as Christians tick what we're all about, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think you're going to find out why we as Christians are a little bit weird. Why we go around campus talking about our faith. Why you tried to just buy a hot dog for 25 cents but got harassed by one of us in the line. Why we can't stop talking about Jesus. And so you've come on an interesting night, and you've come on a great night. Well, I've been talking for about two minutes now. I wonder if that seemed long to you. Two minutes is a pretty short amount of time, but can make a big difference. When you're taking a final and you have two minutes left, and four multiple-choice questions to go, two minutes means a lot. When you're two minutes late to a job interview, that's pretty bad. In the NFL, you have a two-minute warning, and you get a free timeout. Both teams get to regroup, re-strategize for the last two minutes of the game, the most important two minutes, is going to decide whether you win or lose. The NBA also has a two-minute warning. They don't stop the game, but the announcer always says over the microphone that we have two minutes left, and when that two-minute warning comes in the fourth quarter, that's when you know, both teams know, it's your last chance to make a move. It's crunch time. Do or die, sink or swim, it's time to give the ball to LeBron and watch him choke. <laughs> Two minutes can mean the difference between life or death. If someone is drowning, two minutes means a lot to the lifeguard. Uh, if someone is having a heart attack and the ambulance is on its way, two minutes means a lot. Two minutes is a short amount of time, but 
It can end up being all you need to make a huge difference. And such is the case sometimes in evangelism. Because in just two minutes, God can raise the dead. Two minutes can mean the difference between spiritual life and spiritual death. And I'm not saying that there's anything particularly special or magical about 120 seconds, but sometimes all you have to share the gospel with someone is two minutes. And praise God, if that's all you have, that's enough time. You can do it. Sometimes you only get two minutes to share the gospel, and that's oftentimes the case in cold contact evangelism, which is our topic for tonight. Let's talk about cold contact evangelism. What is it? Cold contact evangelism is sharing the gospel with someone that you've never had any contact with, you've never met before, you have no previous relationship with. There's no warm-up, no warmth of relationship. You just ride in cold. Around these parts, we call it fishing. We pair off, go around campus, and share the gospel with people we've never met. We go up to people in the grassy area near Jan Steps. We go up to people who are sitting on the benches in South Campus, reading a physics book. We go up to people sitting by themselves near the fountain, the beautiful fountain in North Campus, reading Shakespeare. All people we haven't met before and share the gospel with them. Some of you do homeless ministry and give the gospel to homeless people that you've never met before. This is cold contact evangelism, and this is weird. This is strange. This is uncommon. This is difficult. This is uncomfortable for you and for the person you're sharing the gospel with. So why would we do this? Why would we put ourselves through this and put the other person through this as well? Well, I want to give you five distinct advantages of cold contact Evangelism, five strengths of cold contact. Uh, number one, cold contact evangelism can reach people who have no Christians in their circle of influence. Some non-Christians happen to know a lot of Christians and they hear the gospel all the time, but other non-Christians don't know any Christians, don't have any Christian friends, and thus never get to hear the gospel. Cold contact allows us to reach these people. In its randomness, cold contact is more likely to bring the gospel to people who otherwise would never hear it. Cold contact evangelism brings the light of the gospel to those who are in the greatest darkness about who Jesus is. Second strength. Cold contact evangelism generally allows you to evangelize to a greater number of people. There's not any ceiling when it comes to the number of people you can evangelize to. You only have so many unbelieving friends. You only have so many unbelieving family members. But there are lots and lots of unbelieving strangers around you. 
And although it would be great if you could follow up with the people that you fish to, and that's certainly ideal, you certainly want to exchange your contact information so that you can talk to them afterwards, develop a friendship with them, invite them out to Grace on Campus and things like that. Generally speaking, that's not going to happen. Most of the time, all you have is that one encounter. Sometimes it's just two minutes. You share the gospel, and you move on to the next person. Share the gospel, move on to the next person. And in that fashion, you're able to share the gospel with a greater number of people. Advantage number three, it gives you a consistent outlet for evangelism. We've talked about how the number of non-Christians you know in life generally is in uh, the shape of a pyramid as you go throughout life. The longer you live as a Christian, the less non-Christians you will know. Uh, It's just kind of a natural part of life. You get busier, uh, you have other responsibilities. Even in college, you are now taking upper divs, and it requires more time to study. You are now having to get serious about your career after college, and so you do that internship, you do that research, you get that job. And so the number of non-Christian friends that you have oftentimes shrinks. Uh, You also get more involved at Grace on Campus and church. You serve in leadership here at GOC as a small group leader or a ministry team leader, and that requires a lot of time doing good and godly things. But when your circle of non-Christian friends shrinks, you have less opportunity to share the gospel with them. Add on to that, many of you are from Christian families, and you have very few non-Christian relatives. And so what are you to do if you don't have many non-Christians around you? You always have fishing. You always have cold contact evangelism. This is an avenue, an opportunity that's always available to you. Number four, cold contact forces Christians to be bold and courageous. Fishing is definitely scary. told you guys last week that this past Monday, I was going out with Georgie to go fishing and told you guys how scared I was. And thank you, by the way, for praying for me. Some of you guys told me that you're praying for me, and I definitely needed it. There were a lot of things I was scared about. I was scared that we would go 0 for 10. You know what I'm saying? In those 50 minutes, not a single person would want to talk about the gospel with us, and we just get rejection after rejection after rejection. Uh, I was scared that I'd be asked a question that I didn't know the answer to, and here's, I didn't say this last week, but here, here's my greatest fear. It's dumb. It really is, but my greatest fear going out with Georgie fishing at UCLA was that someone was going to ask me my age <laughs> and discover that there was a weirdo, weirdo old person loose on the UCLA campus. And when I I went fishing, uh, my greatest fear came true. I think Georgie had mentioned that he was a third year, and uh, the guy that we were fishing to said, so you guys both third years? (laughs) And I said, third year of my 30s? Sure. Uh, so fishing is, is difficult, uh, it's uncomfortable, and inherently, it's strange 
to go up to people and say, you, you want to talk about Jesus. And you know that rejection is very, very likely. So this forces you to overcome your fear of man. It forces you to, to, to fall to your knees and beg God for more courage. It forces you to wrestle in your heart. How much do I love the lost? How much do I want to be obedient to the Great Commission? How much do I want to live for the glory of God and proclaim his excellencies? And will my desire for these things trump my fear of man? The fifth advantage, it creates a culture of evangelism within the church. I love what fishing does to GOC. Having our fishing ministry reminds us that evangelism is of utmost importance it provides opportunities throughout the week to evangelize. It reminds us that evangelism should be a part of our weeks, a part of our lifestyle. Seeing each other go out and fish encourages us and, and is contagious. Fishing infuses evangelism into the culture of grace on campus, and I love that. I love that we have this outward focus and we're not just looking inward caring for each other because both are important, both are biblical. So those are five advantages that I wanted to begin with, but I also want to give you some cautions. Uh, there are also some pitfalls to avoid when it comes to cold contact evangelism. I have three. First of all, it can be perceived as obnoxious if not done with wisdom, tact, and love. There are bad ways to fish. There are annoying, unfriendly, unkind ways to fish. Going up to someone cold and talking about religion is inherently abrasive. So it's all the more important to understand this caution to be kind, to be winsome, to be patient, to be tactful. The second caution I have for you is that a cold contact can create a culture of guilt for not doing it. Always keep in mind that fishing is a way of evangelizing, not the only way of evangelizing. You can imagine a conversation between two geoseers. Hey, did you go fishing this week? Uh, no, no, I didn't. In fact, I haven't, I haven't gone fishing before. What? Do you even evangelize? And there's something wrong with that question. Do you even evangelize? Because the answer may be yes, just not cold contact. That person may be reaching out to their family and friends. And so I wouldn't want to create this culture of guilt where fishing is the only way to evangelize. And if you're not fishing, you're not evangelizing, so you should feel bad. What we want to encourage people to do is have a lifestyle of evangelism, any kind of evangelism, not just cold contact. The third caution, and it's related, it can overshadow relationship evangelism. We don't want to do cold contact to, in replacement of relational evangelism. To overemphasize cold contact evangelism is to say that evangelism is one hour of your time on Tuesdays from 1 to 2, and that's it. 
What about being faithful with the people that God's placed in your life, the people that you know, the people that you love about? What about evangelizing to them? So here's what it comes down to. All Christians are called to evangelize. Not all Christians are called to cold contact evangelism. So we shouldn't make believers in the church feel guilty for not doing it. Instead, we should simply encourage each other, everyone, to have a lifestyle infused with evangelism. And if fishing is a part of that lifestyle, then great. And personally, I would encourage you guys to go fishing. We are going to do a sermon about fishing because uh, I think it's tremendous, a tremendous opportunity to do fishing on this campus where there are students who are interested in religion, who have questions about what they believe and what their worldview is, and have some time. The people sitting around North Campus, South Campus, have a gap in their schedule, one-hour gap, two-hour gap. If they're a freshman and they still haven't learned how to schedule their classes, a three-hour gap. (laughs) And so they got some time to kill. Uh, There are many things that make UCLA conducive to cold contact evangelism. And so today, I want to talk about it. I want to encourage those of you who are already fishing. I I want to freshly inspire you through the Word of God. I want you to have a a fresh excitement for it and do it even more faithfully than you are. And for those of you who who have never gone fishing, I want to talk to you tonight too and encourage you to try it to just try it once and see how the Lord leads after that. So we're going to look at three reasons to engage in cold contact evangelism. The three reasons, I'll give them to you up front, is that the power of the gospel validates it. The simplicity of the gospel allows it, and the urgency of the gospel encourages it. First, let's look at the power of the gospel and how it validates cold contact evangelism. Turn to 1 Peter, two, uh, 1 Peter 1, 23. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. One objection to cold contact evangelism that you're going to hear is that it's not even valid. You can't just do that. You can't just go up to strangers and share the gospel with them. No one's going to get saved like that. No one's going to want to become a Christian that way. But the power of the gospel says otherwise. Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Hearing the gospel just one time, one time, is enough for them to get saved. The very power of God undergirds his gospel, and it's this power, this power that is behind the gospel that validates cold contact evangelism. And that's what we see in 1 Peter 1, 23. You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, 
How are you born again? Through the word of God. How someone gets saved, how they're born again, born a second time, born spiritually, born into the kingdom of God is through the word of God. The word of God in this verse is likened to a seed. You don't need to be a bio major to know that contained inside a seed is the potential for life. Inside a, a seed is the biological material that's necessary for that seed to sprout into that little lima bean plant that you planted in second grade in a milk carton and enough to sprout a giant redwood tree. In the same way, the seed of the gospel contains all that's needed to produce life spiritual life, an imperishable spiritual life, one that will last forever. And in cold contact, you're simply planting the seed. So plant the seed, plant the seed, plant the seed. Be faithful to plant the seed. And the power of God will cause that seed to sprout everlasting life. 1 Corinthians 3, 7, So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. You plant the seed, God will bring about the growth. Turn over to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, and we'll see an example of cold contact evangelism. But more importantly, we're going to see how cold contact evangelism is effective, how it's valid, how it's legitimized, because God uses it in this story to bring about salvation. We're going to see an example of how God is powerful to bring about conversion through cold contact evangelism. Paul enters Macedonia for the first time, a new region, and here's what he does. Acts chapter 16, verses 13 to 15. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after, she was baptized, and her household as well. She urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Paul goes down to the river, and verse 13 says, He sat down and spoke to some women. Cold contact. He doesn't know who they are. And he preaches the gospel to them. And then at the end of verse 14, The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Paul evangelizes to Lydia one time, just one time, cold contact, and God, through the preaching of the gospel, just one time, opens Lydia's heart to believe 
the message. Who opens Lydia's heart? The Lord. It is his power. It is his power. Paul plants the gospel seeds and God, through his power, causes eternal life to sprout in the heart of Lydia. If indeed we believe that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, then cold contact evangelism is validated. It is legitimate. So let's plant some seeds. Let's plant some seeds, plant some seeds, plant some seeds, and watch the power of God work. So why cold contact evangelism? The power of the gospel validates it. Secondly, the simplicity of the gospel allows it. The simplicity of the gospel allows it. The gospel is a message that has some detail, but it's simple enough to explain to someone in the first encounter. The gospel is not a, an overly complex message that needs a full-on lecture, a handout, or a PowerPoint presentation, or anything like that. All you really need is two minutes. If you were to boil the gospel down to its essential elements, uh, you would get four parts. And this is kind of the classic model for evangelism to make sure that you get uh, the, the full gospel in. And those four elements are God, sin, Jesus, and faith. God, sin, Jesus, and faith. Uh, people have been using that framework forever, and I like it. I think that that framework is easy to remember and gives you the opportunity to share the whole gospel and can be done in just two minutes. Uh, so, Nathan, do you have a couple of minutes? Can, can, I, can I tell you what I believe and uh, what, 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 I, what I'm all about as a Christian? Uh, if, if you just have a couple minutes. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I believe that God created all things. Uh, Genesis 1.1 says, God, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that includes you and me. I believe that God created all people, and as such, he has ownership over all of us. He is Lord over all of us and demands that, that we obey his commandments, which are found in the Bible. Uh, but the Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3, 23. Uh, it says that no one is perfect, and I'll be the first to raise my hand and say that I've broken the laws found in the Bible. Uh, the Bible says, do not lie, and again, I'll raise my hand and say I'm the first one uh, who, who, who is a liar. Uh, Jesus said, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery with her. Uh, and again, raise my hand and say that I've done that as well. There is no one perfect. And because we have a holy God who, who cannot allow any sin into heaven, uh, must send us to hell as punishment for our sin. But, but Nathan, God, God loves us. 
Uh, he loves us so much that he didn't want to see us go to hell, and so he, he made a way for us to spend eternity with him in heaven. Uh, he gave us Jesus Christ. That's where Jesus and the cross come in. And I'm sure you've heard of Jesus and the cross, and let me tell you the significance of that. Uh, Jesus lived a perfect life, so when he died on that cross, he wasn't dying for his own sin. He was dying for the sin of mankind, us imperfect people, uh, so that his perfect life is transferred onto us and, and my sin uh, is transferred onto him. He dies as our substitute so that anyone who believes in him uh, will have eternal life. And you know, Jesus didn't stay dead. Uh, he rose again on the third day so that he is now alive and we worship a, a living God. And so I, I invite you, as the Bible does, to place your faith in this Jesus, uh, to turn away from your sin and embrace him as your savior for the forgiveness of your sins. You'll be cleansed of all your sins. Uh, will you come to Jesus in faith today? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> the power of the gospel validates it. So you may only have a short amount of time. And you might get easy ones like Nathan, you may get hard ones like you run across, uh, but the gospel is a simple message. Guys, if you, if you know enough to be saved, you know enough to evangelize, evangelize. sure, take, take GP. Uh, it'll help you solidify what the gospel is. It'll connect you with other Christians who are excited about sharing the gospel, give you accountability but you already know enough. The gospel is a simple message, and so you can share it with anyone, including strangers, through fishing. Reason number three. Why do cold contact? The urgency of the gospel encourages it. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 27 to 28. And we're going to read one of the most urgent couple of verses you're going to read anywhere in Scripture. Hebrews chapter 9, starting in verse 27. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. The Bible's call to evangelize is an urgent one. The gospel is an urgent message. And this urgency lights the fire under our seats to get out there and fish. When we neglect to make evangelism a part of our lives, and hey, if you're here today and you have a, a, a nonchalant attitude toward fishing, a, a dismissive attitude toward fishing, I wonder if it's because you have forgotten the realities found in this verse. 
that every person is appointed to die once. And after that comes judgment. Perhaps we've been blinded, distracted, lulled to sleep on these eternal realities. Uh, I'm still feeling the heat from Austin Duncan's sermon this past Sunday on Ecclesiastes chapter 2. And I, I can even remember the, the first words that he said. I think he started with a, with a quote. And then after he read the quote, he said, I'm dying and so are you. And it was such a good reminder about the mortality of all men and even the last crossroads may have been uncomfortable for you as it was me. You kind of hoped that it would end sooner rather than later. It was a needed reminder of Hebrews 9.27 that it's appointed for all people to die once, that we're all going to end up in a coffin. Death is unavoidable. A funeral is in our future. We have a finite amount of time. We're all born with the fuse lit. We're all born with our death date circled on God's calendar. Austin also said this memorable thing. When you understand death, then you know how to live, right? When you understand death, then you learn how to live. And I would just add on to that and say, when you understand death, then you learn how to evangelize. When you understand death and dying, then you really understand evangelism because nobody is promised tomorrow. What we are promised, verse 27, is judgment. After that, after death comes judgment. God will punish all sin. Either he will punish it in you, in eternity, in hell, or he will punish it on Jesus Christ on the cross. Hell is described for us in horrific terms throughout Scripture. Eternal fire, Mark 9, 43. Conscious torment, Matthew 25, 30. Outer darkness, Matthew 8, 12. Absence from God, being banished from God and feeling his full wrath. In the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, Jesus gives this illustration about a rich man who goes to hell and a man named Lazarus, a beggar who goes to heaven. And the rich man in hell is in such torment in the eternal flames that he just has one request. He calls out to God and says, God, will you just, will you just let Lazarus dip his finger in a cup of water and then touch my tongue with it to give me one moment of relief. But even that, God says, I can't do that because there's a great chasm between heaven and hell. There is no relief. Guys, there are no exit signs in hell. Hell is unhappily ever after. In Dante's Inferno, a fictional work, but I think has a lot of parallels to scripture. Dante is given a tour of hell and at the beginning of the tour, he enters through the gates of hell and on the top of the, the gate is an inscription that says, abandon all hope 
ye who enter here. Because you're not getting out. But don't abandon hope yet. Preach to the living. Preach to the living who have hope. Urgently, quickly, don't delay. Uh, You have an opportunity, but it's not going to last forever. In fact, it's quite short. So preach, proclaim the gospel, the message that can save from the flames of hell. And that's why this encourages evangelism, and in particular, cold contact evangelism, because I'm dying, you're dying, and so are they. On our end, we don't know how long that we have to preach the gospel. We don't know when our last breath is going to be, and so our window is going to close, and we don't know how long they're going to live. We don't know their death date circled on God's calendar, and so preach while they're living. Preach while they're still here. Preach while they still have a chance. Preach to them before they face the judgment. Every single one of us is going to stand toe-to-toe with the heavenly judge, face-to-face with Jesus himself. And this is a judgment that they may not even know is coming. So preach urgently, evangelize urgently. Isaiah 55, 6, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. That's our message, and that's the urgency of our message. The Titanic has sunk. And by God's grace, you're on a lifeboat. By God's grace, you are saved, along with a few others, but you're surrounded by the perishings, uh, surrounded by the the freezing and the the cries for help, the cries of, of dying are filling your ears. And so you have a choice. Option number one, stay in the boat with your other saved friends. Talk about how terrible it was when you were perishing, but be thankful for how we're saved now. Uh, Try to do what you can to to warm up, dry off, and and just talk about what it's going to be like once you reach the shore. All the while, these Screams of the perishing fill your ears. Option number two, grab onto the perishing and pull them into the boat. The boat's sailing off. Got to get to the shore. But grab as many as you can. Grab them quickly. Grab them urgently. Because they're, do- they're lost and they're dying. But not only is the reality of hell a motivation for sharing the gospel and in particular an encouragement to cold contact evangelism, the reality of heaven is as well. The bad news is really bad, but the good news is even greater. Verse 28. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. When we go fishing, we bring 
the good news. Christ was offered to bear the sins of many. Yours. He will bear your sins away, take them to the cross so that you don't have to carry them anymore and you can go free. And Jesus is coming back. He's going to appear a second time to take us home. The gospel is an urgent message because we only have a little bit of time to show people the way to heaven. There's urgency in the good news. There's urgency of joy, of being able to tell people that they can live a life of worship of God, the highest quality of life, and this joy will last into all eternity. I think of this in the, the parable of the treasure hidden in the field Matthew 13, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field to run off and make sure that you secure that treasure. Let's run. Let's run and tell people about this treasure while we still have time. I want to use a little bit of sanctified imagination here. Imagine that your time here on earth is no more. And you are now in heaven. And you see that person, a person who was your friend, you cared about so much, you prayed for, you got to share the gospel with him or her, and they got saved. Praise God. Uh, and on your time on earth, you were able to serve in the same church, shoulder to shoulder, sing together. And you say, hey, good to see you here. Can't believe it. We're here. And a friend says to you, come on, welcome. Uh, let's, let's, let's go. We got a worship service to go to. Let's go sing to Jesus together. And you're about to, to run off with your friend and then out of the corner of your eye, you see someone else. Who looks familiar? Catches your eye and so you, you go over to, to him. You say, man, you, you look familiar. And that person says, you don't recognize me? Like, yeah, I, I, I kind of recognize you. And, you know, now that I have perfect knowledge and a glorified mind, it's all coming back to me. <laughs> and the guy says, let me, let me help you out here. The reason I look familiar is because that one time you fished to me. And you say, oh, yeah. Now I remember you weren't happy that day. Uh, you weren't having it. And I only talked to you for like two minutes. And then you politely asked me to leave. Put your earphones in and we never saw each other again. He says, yeah. Uh, I thought about what you said. Uh, kind of bothered me that night thinking about heaven and hell and where I stood with God. But honestly, I kind of ignored it, kind of suppressed it and didn't think about it again. I didn't even recognize you until I just saw you now. But years down the line, 
I still thought about that weird Christian guy that talked to me on the steps of Powell. And it bothered me again. And I knew I, I wasn't going to live forever, so I decided to check out a church. And it's there that people were faithful to evangelize to me. Man, they loved me, they cared for me, and I, I was so attracted to, to that love, which I came to know to be the love of Christ, and, and, and I got saved. And I got saved. Thank you for sharing the gospel with me. Thank you for being bold that day. I know it wasn't easy, and I know I, I wasn't being very nice to you, but thank you for that. Come on, let's go. Worship service is starting. Let's go worship Jesus together. Is there a more urgent message than the gospel? Heaven will only tell what kind of gospel influence our fishing ministry had here at Grace on Campus. Uh, let's be faithful to fish. Let's be faithful to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into marvelous light.